Listener Production. I wanted to add a trigger warning as there are very brief mentions in this episode on infertility and infant death. However, it's a super interesting episode and I hope you enjoy it. Blaine Watson is a Jyotish Vedic astrologer, having studied under the well-renowned guru Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. He has been practicing for over 30 years and has more than 30,000 clients in over 30 countries. Vedic astrology, known as Jyotish in Sanskrit, has witnessed a surge in popularity as a means of shaping or predicting one's future by unveiling the unseen aspects of our path. It enables us to adapt, refine our behaviour, make informed choices and foster a harmonious and coherent flow in both our individual lives and society as a whole. With its profound insights, Jyotish empowers individuals to navigate the complexities of life before they happen. In this fascinating conversation, we discuss the difference between free will and destiny, why some good people have a lot of suffering and struggle in their life, and the role of karma in shaping our life experience. If your karma is such that your chart says you're going to have a car accident, we're naturally going to want to do what we can to mitigate that, to neutralize the karma, if not neutralize it completely, at least soften it somewhat. And there are many, many things that can be done to do that. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Through my years of studying and researching the connection between human behaviour, personal growth and transformation, I have discovered the keys to unlocking greatness within others. In this podcast, I share stories and experiences from my own teachings, along with conversations with inspiring guests to help you learn the simple tips, habits, practices and strategies to cultivate an extraordinary existence. Blaine is a man with many tales who has experienced the richness and pain of life. This powerful exchange is filled with wisdom and talks to the ways Blaine and I approach life, faith and the universe. My hope is that this conversation serves the purpose to renew and restore your inner and outer worlds and bring healing and love to all those who need it. Blaine, in 1980, you visited India. Can you talk to us about how that experience changed your life? It was a Vedic science course in India, New Delhi, um, that Maharshi set up to introduce the world to the Vedic sciences, astrology, Ayurveda, et cetera, et cetera, Sanskrit. In the context of that course, there were 3,000 people from all over the world attending that course. And it was absolutely like for me coming back home, my first experience of India, and there was nothing that didn't feel homely about it. It just, I felt like I was right where I belonged. It was wonderful. Within the context of that Vedic science course, Marsha began to introduce us to various experts in the different sciences. So he introduced us to Rajvaija B.D. Traguna, who is probably the very best Ayurvedic doctor that India has ever produced, in, in my estimation. He became my personal Ayurvedic doctor for many years after that. One of the astrologers he introduced us to was 
uh, a Shastri, a guy named Shastri in, in Delhi. And this guy was an expert in what's called Prashna. This is where you make a horoscope for the moment that a person comes to you to ask a question. And there are various ways of doing it. I, I, I have many, many, many techniques. Maharshi told me to make myself expert in Prashna. So I have many techniques for generating a horoscope for when a person asks a question. From that horoscope, you can tell the person what they're going to ask. <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of fun. They don't even, they don't even get a chance to ask the question. You, you tell them what they're going to ask and then you give them the answers like yeah. this. So this guy was very, very good at this. And he, uh, his habit was to come out into his garden at sunrise with his cup of tea and he would sit and wait for people to come through his garden gate and sit with him and ask questions. And as they were coming through the gate, he would face the gate and he would watch them as they came through the gate. And as they were walking through the gate, he would be scribbling on pieces of paper and then he would turn the paper over and then they would sit down and, and he would say, ask your questions and they would ask their questions. And then he would turn the paper over and show them that those were the questions yeah. that they were going to ask. <laughs> so we, uh, myself and two other people went to sunrise myself and another couple of Canadians. There's at least one other Canadian, I think an American with me. And I I had been to see Dr. Traguna and he had started prescribing gemstones for people to wear for their health. I went to see him and he took my pulse. In Ayurveda, they take their pulse. He took my pulse and, and said he couldn't tell which gemstone I should wear from my pulse. And he said, you should go see Shastri. He'll be able to tell you. So the only reason, and the really the only question I had was which gemstone I should wear. So I went at sunrise, sat down, came through the gate. He was writing on pieces of paper and, and then he made a sit. There were three chairs set up off to the side and he made a sit over there. And then people started coming in, his clients from, you know, the normal stream of clients. And they would sit down in, in front of him and he would answer their questions. Every once in a while, every second or third person who came in, he would look at me and he would ask, ask me to come over and he would show me their horoscope. And he didn't know who I was. Mm. I'd, he, we'd never met before, but he would show me their horoscope and then explain to me what their problem was and what the answer was that he gave them. And then he would make, make me go and sit down again. <laughs> so this went on all day long. Wait, did you think that was a bit weird? Um, yeah, I thought it was just a little bit unusual. I, I was flattered you yeah, know, that, totally. that, that he would invite me in like that and wasn't inviting my friends in, just me. So we were sitting there and people were streaming by. And it's just this constant flow of people coming to see him because he was very well known. And um, we worked all the way through breakfast and lunch. And then um, the sun was getting higher and hotter and the afternoon was going on. And and then we're getting towards sunset. And he had taken my two friends, you know, through the day. He had invited them to come and sit and ask their questions. And then they came and sat back down again with me. But he was not taking my questions. 
So it was coming towards sunset. And traditionally in Jyotish, we, Indian astrology, we don't do Jyotish after the sun goes down because it's called the science of light. So we have to have light in the sky, interestingly mm, enough. I love that. So it's coming towards sunset. And I'm thinking, geez, he's, he's going to run out of time. I'm not going to get my questions answered. So the last person came in through the gate, went away. He looks at me and he says, now you come. And so he made me come and sit down in front of him. He says, ask your questions. And I had only the one question, but he had obviously written down questions. And he, he allows three questions. So I asked three questions, you know, when when am I going to be enlightened? And how long will I be in India? When will I leave? You know, that just kind of basic questions like that. And and he, he turned the paper over. And the three questions I made up on the spot right at that moment were on the paper that he had written at sunrise that morning. But he went through those three questions. But then he said, but you have another question. And I said, yes. And he said, so ask it. And I said, what what gemstones do I need? And he looked at me and he doubled over in laughter and he said, you don't need any. And he slapped his thigh. <laughs> he, was just, he was just howling with laughter. And everybody that was there just... They knew, you know, my friends knew why I was there and they were just, everybody was just in laughter. I fell in love with the whole idea of Jyotish at that moment that he was so playful and so uh, alert that, that he made me sit all day long just to show that he could answer the question and that I didn't really need to ask the question, you know, and it was, it was just so much fun like that. So that was my introduction to Jyotish, the Indian science of astrology in, in 1980. Wow. I was there for many months. And after the large group went home, um, Maharshi kept us there and we stayed on for a lot longer. And we just started studying more and more deeply into these Vedic sciences. What do you love about Vedic astrology? What's there not to love? <laughs> it's it's um, infinite. There's no limit to how far you can study with it the the number of details even even to study just the most basic element of jyotish the the most fundamental parts of it there's like 2.1 million details just mm -hmm. in that part alone but <clears throat> those details allow us to make predictions to make predictions that are very precise <clears throat> precise in terms of what you're predicting, but also precise in terms of when. That's really, really quite critical. It's no good to say, oh, you're going to have a car accident. You have to be able to say when you're going to have a car accident and when you have to be careful like that. And Indian astrology allows for that. The thing I like the most about it, I think, is that it offers remedies. Mm. So you can see at a particular time that something's going to happen and there are things that you can do to modify that there there's no such thing as free will free will and predestination are one and the same thing you're predestined to choose what you're going to choose really but the whole element of choice is part of what we call maya maya means illusion as you probably know so part of the maya that we live with is that we're making choices. So it's basically an illusion. It's a predestined choice that we're making based on karma, actions from the past. Um, but it can be modified. 
it can be refined. There's a certain amount of room to wiggle in. And so if, if a person is predicted to have a car accident, we can instruct them to do any number of things to refine that so that instead of having a car accident, they could nick themselves shaving. It, it can be adjusted like this. So everybody understands karma these days. What you are is what you get. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction as you sow, so shall you reap. Mm. It's, it's a concept that's contained within, any, within every wisdom tradition on the planet. Uh, if your karma is such that your chart says you're going to have a car accident, we're naturally going to want to do what we can to mitigate that, mm. to neutralize the karma if possible. If not neutralize it completely, at least soften it somewhat. And there are many, many things that can be done to do that. So there are, you can meditate. Meditation on a daily basis is one of the finest and easiest ways of dealing with karma. Just having the experience of, of deep rest within the meditative experience, mm. releasing the stresses of the body, the stresses are what contain the karma. Yeah. So if you're releasing those stresses, you're softening the karma automatically and increasing your luck in life. Uh, there are ceremonies that can be performed in India called yagyas. And this is where you hire a group of pundits to recite certain Sanskrit texts that the, the sound value of which help, helps to restructure the DNA according to the pundits. That's the language they, that they use. Then it restructures the DNA because the karma, the, the story of the past is contained within our DNA. Mm. So if you want to give yourself a better and brighter future, one of the easiest ways to do that is to restructure the DNA. Meditation restructures DNA, I'm convinced. Diet, we know, can restructure DNA. These ceremonies in India can restructure DNA. Um, there are so many different modalities that we can use yoga, yoga asana, pranayama, the breathing exercises, basically almost any spiritual practice will restructure DNA. How, how long it takes depends on the practice, you know, so some are faster, some are slower like that. But the idea is that if you're doing a sufficient amount of restructuring the DNA, then you could alter the story of the past and that could alter your future. Mm. So if, if, for example, you're predicted to have a car accident, but you're meditating twice a day and you're having these yagyas performed and you're, you know, doing everything that the astrologer has recommended you to do, then you could soften the blow. And instead of having the car accident, the restructured DNA dictates then that you just nick yourself shaving. It's a modification of the prediction. So for people listening who have never heard of Vedic astrology and want to know how it works, can you explain the process of how someone would come to you and how they get their chart done? And I need to say this with in relation to you, that you are very full, you're booked up, you're not taking any new clients, unfortunately, no. <laughs> um, but there are other Vedic astrologers out there. So yeah, can you tell the process of how someone would come to you and then what would happen from there? For me, I don't advertise. I've never advertised. Um, there's no need for that. It's all strictly word of mouth. People come to me because someone told them about me as a rule, although I... I did a few podcasts um, 
uh, years, a year or two ago without knowing really what a podcast was. <laughs> you had some vague idea of what a podcast is. I didn't realize so many people listened to them. So I, I they, they wanted to do an interview and I thought, okay, fine. I, I can do an interview just as long as you understand it's not self-promotion because yes. I'm, I'm not allowed to, yeah. by tradition, I'm not allowed to self-promote. This is the tradition from through which I yeah. came into astrology. Other astrologers don't have such a restriction. For everyone listening, Blaine told me about 10 times, I cannot self-promote. I said, do not worry. <laughs> you do not need to promote. I will promote the episode, but you will not be promoting anything. It is all, it's like Blaine, the exact opposite of what anyone wants when they come on the podcast, when they're like, can you promote this? Can you do that? And you're like, do right, not promote exactly. anything. Tell yeah, everyone that I'm right. not taking new clients. I'm like, I promise. You just share your wisdom. Yeah. Even if I was taking clients, I would still be emphasizing that I'm not self-promoting, yes. that, that I'm talking and educating about the knowledge of Jyotish, but not promoting any kind of skill set that I may or may not have. And this is because within the purely Vedic context, we're instructed to hide, to, to make it difficult for people to find us, because there is a karmic connection I find in my experience between myself and people who come to me for their charts. Um, every person who comes to me has a genealogy. I, I can know who they were referred to by, to me by. And I know who referred that person, who referred that person, referred that person all the way back to number one, you know, like that. So that genealogy has, has substance to it. And I think it's because of this that um, when people do reach out to me um, or to any astrologer, that there is this already established connection. We need the time and date and place of birth in order to create a horoscope. This is the, the map of the stars at the time of birth. And from that information, then the astrologer can see the whole life from birth to death. <clears throat> and if you believe, we can also see previous births as well and future births if they're there. I'm fortunate in that the clients that come to me are, I would say 99.99% of the time, deeply, deeply focused on enlightenment and spiritual awakening and self-realization, however you want to call it. I'm very blessed that way. It's a really fortunate element of my work that I get to predict to people on a daily basis that this is their last lifetime. It's a lot of fun. You predicted that for me. Uh, uh huh. Yeah, it's a I lot was of like, fun. I said to you, thank God. And yeah, you, exactly. <laughs> and you laughed and you said, everyone who I say that's their last lifetime says that, which shows it's their last lifetime. That's right, exactly. I, I've only had, I think I can count on the fingers of one hand out of the 60,000 charts that I've done, um, the number of times that someone has said, what do you mean, no next life? You know, virtually 100% are completely understanding what I'm predicting and <laughs> completely embracing it, you know, like you, oh, thank God, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's, it's because they have this spiritual way of living and 
the vast majority of them, I'd say almost 100%, have some type of sadhana, some type of spiritual practice that they are dedicated to like that. So, so it, it, in terms of the work that I do, it's just a question of having the right birth time. And, and we can find the mm. birth time if we don't have it. If it's a completely unknown birth time, it's, it can still be found, but it takes a lot more work mm. and costs a lot more money. But if someone has the way most people's birth times are recorded, it's an approximation. It's a, a kind of say somebody was born, somebody will come to me and say, I was born at 7.50 in the morning. Well, that's a rounded off birth time because people are very rarely born on the minute like that. It would mm. be 7.49 or 7.51 like that. So then I have to do a birth time rectification where we take eight or 10 events minimum from a person's life, their dates, the exact dates of specific events in their lives. And we trace it back to the exact moment of birth. So we can find the time of birth right to the second. Yeah. It's really, that's a, a lot of fun. That, I mean, you did that for my mum yeah. and I sat with her and yeah. we filled out all the questions and there was a lot of them. So it shows like, it was really interesting to see what you were looking for. Thank goodness her mother, my grandmother, is still alive. So she had mm -hmm. that rough idea and she was actually very close to when she was like kind of the hours of which she was born. So it made it obviously easier for you. Yeah, I remember that. And and what I do is in terms of the approximate time of birth, I will take a half hour on each side. Yeah. And you, you'll still go through dozens of horoscopes with that. You know, there's subdivisional charts that change with every minute. So we have to, it gets very, very refined. And so we can narrow it down and narrow it down. And the more, the more dates we have, the more precise those dates are, the more reliable the birth time is. Like that. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And I, I, I tend to be pretty good at it. It, it's something even when I was learning astrology that, that seemed to be a skill that I had right from the very beginning yeah. that, that there wasn't much doubt in my mind when I, when I found the right birth time. There, there's a, something that it's like the tumblers on a, on a safe, you know, it, it click, 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 mm. click, 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 and then they tumble into place like that. It's a little bit like that. It's just minute adjustments and then suddenly everything falls into place. You mentioned something before that I wanted to talk to in more depth, which is free will and mm -hmm. what is not free will. Mm -hmm. So if you read someone's chart and you can see that they might have an illness or they might be going through something in a couple of years, Mm -hmm. You obviously can tell them things that they can do to be able to make, as you mentioned, yeah. with the car accident, that blow not so severe or, right. you know, mitigate that having their disease. So what you're saying is like the person who would come to you for that, it would be part of their destiny anyway that they were coming to you and you would give them that advice and whatever they choose to do, which we would look upon as free will, you're kind of saying whatever their choices are would have been already destined for them. Exactly. And and that they chose to come to me to hear a different perspective on their choices to this point and to be educated in terms of those different choices that can be made from this time onwards. Sometimes I don't know the fixes 
sometimes I'll see something coming and I'll, I'll very directly say, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what the remedy is for this, but you could try going to this person or that person, especially when it comes to health matters. I mean, I've studied Ayurveda for 43 years now. I'm, I am considered somewhat expert in that, but I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm, mm. I know a general amount of good knowledge and I can give people adjustments to their diets and prescribe different herbs and things for different disorders. But I certainly don't know the whole of the, of the science of Ayurveda. And so I have a whole bunch of Ayurvedic doctors that I can refer people to, um, in order to get help with health in particular. But if I've been trained in, Vastu architecture, that's Indian temple architecture as well. And I have designed and built a house according to that system of architecture. But I'm not, I'm not, that's not what I do full time. So if somebody wants to build a home and they need help and, and guidance in terms of room placement and dimensions of the house, I refer them to a Vastu architect, a Stapachaveda architect that I know. So like this, uh, uh, again, a part of the joy of what I do is that I have access to many, many, many experts. And with the numbers of people that I've talked to over the years, that pool of expertise has expanded really a lot. And so I, I can refer people to you know, lawyers, I can refer people to doctors, I can refer people to, you know, anything basically that that they need. financial advisors, it's, I have a client who's a financial advisor, who's very successful, I would recommend you go talk to them, you know, like that. So it's a it's a question of, of knowing where my strengths are. And I think every astrologer does this, that, that they have this understanding of what they are good at, and and mm. can refer people to what they're not good at. Like that. Do you ever read anyone's chart? And I mean, you've obviously read so many thousands of charts, but is there mm-hmm. been on the two extreme levels, one where you go, oh, that is an extraordinary chart. I mean, I know you thought that when you read my chart. You, you were blown away, joking. Um, and then on the other spectrum where you are given a chart and it's like, you know, you take a big breath. There's a lot of karma in this person's lifetime that they need to work out. And I'm going to have to walk them through something that could be quite confronting. Yeah, yes and yes. Um, I have clients who are world famous. I I never say who I talk to. It's just not something I do. Um, I don't want to be known for being, you know, someone's Mm. astrologer. Uh, Especially with the Hollywood crowd. You don't want to be known as the astrologer to the stars. Yuck. <laughs> There's a bit of cheese in that. And it's it's really kind of silly for people to want to do that. Um and 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 Hollywood, you know, I do talk to people from there and it's a fine line to walk because they themselves are usually quite fine people with spirituality in their makeup. The people around them are a little bit, you know, iffy mm. and I found that out pretty early on and I said, don't refer anyone to me. <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't want to talk to the people around you. I'm happy talking to you. Um, so there are, there are charts that are extraordinary. Um, but there's, you know, it's a scale. Mm. It's, and it, everybody falls within a certain range. That's for sure. I like to think that every chart I look at is extraordinary. Um, some people live more 
ordinary lives within that extraordinary potential. But when the prediction is that this is your last lifetime, that's pretty much as a, as extraordinary as I would wish for anyone. Um, I have looked at charts of people who are on the less evolved end of the scale and felt very deeply affected by that. There was one guy in a prison uh, called me from prison. Hmm. He was in prison for multiple murders, not just one murder, but multiple murders. And I had to cancel all my appointments after that one and rest for several days. It was a very heavy load of karma that he was dealing with. Um, I learned from that, that there's a thing that we say in the Vedas that what you see is what you become. Mm -hmm. So when we look at someone's horoscope, we become the horoscope we're looking at. So when I'm doing a reading, I'm scanning my mind, my emotions, my physical body to see how I'm reacting, <clears throat> what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, both emotionally, physically, psychologically like that. And and I think that's one of the reasons why the readings come out so accurately, because I'm paying attention to that. Um, with his reading, um, I was just completely wiped out. And I realized then that there was a part of myself that I hadn't dealt with. Mm. Some unresolved issue within myself that was a murderer <laughs> like that, if we want to take it to that extent. And I hadn't dealt with that unresolved issue within myself. So I had to take several days and deal with it. And, and also to understand that, that when I'm looking at the chart, doesn't mean I have to hold on to the chart mm. afterwards. So this was in the early days. So now I can look at a chart and the chart just slides through me. So I can look at, you know, multiple charts in the day without being affected by the chart like that. I still have the reaction that I have, but witness the reaction rather than own the reaction, if that makes sense. Mm, you know, no, I'm totally. sitting, sitting back observing, but I'm not, I'm not taking it as this is me. You know, mm. these thoughts I'm thinking are not my thoughts. They're the person I'm talking to. And then they just slide right out. I so have that with interviews sometimes when it's really full yeah. on and I get told information sure. that's extremely heavy and yeah. upsetting. And I'll walk out, like you said, in the early days, feeling very disturbed or mm -hmm. at night time, I feel myself like thinking about that person and, you know, wishing love to them or whatever. Right. That I've now learnt to try and separate, like, that's their story. It's not my story. Mm -hmm. It's their mm -hmm. story, but mm -hmm. it you know right. it can be hard at times, right? But if there's some part of my story that connects with yeah. their story, well, that's it. Then you get very the, triggered. The challenge, yeah, yeah, the challenge of separation becomes that much stronger. So that that again is one of the um, one of the there are many guidelines for astrologers in India. They they have descriptions in the Vedic texts of what an astrologer is supposed to be. And the, one of the first instructions is that the astrologer is supposed to have a spiritual practice. He's supposed to be established in some form of sadhana. And this is the reason why, so that he, he gets some distance, some ability to distance mm. him or herself from the chart that he's looking at. Because 
he or she is going to become the chart. That's a given that you can't look at a chart without becoming the chart, but you have to be able to do that and keep some separation at the same time. So uh, spiritual practice is essential mm. for this. You mentioned when you give readings is very positive, which is you know mm-hmm. lovely, and you walk away yeah. feeling empowered, which I think yeah. you should for, for you know even if you're going to a psychic, yeah, you can say news that is not positive in a positive way, yeah, to empower the person to make good decisions rather than just mm-hmm. throw something on them and then they're just in shock and God knows what you've yeah. now done to their psyche for the rest of their life. So it's always <laughs> exactly. a very good experience going to. But I wonder for you, is there certain things sometimes that even you don't see in someone's chart and that then happens that's maybe negative or you don't say it because it's better for them just to kind of go through it themselves? So there are some things I don't see that that's a given. I'm a human. I'm not a computer. I don't see absolutely everything. Computers will eventually get to the point where they can... Mm. read horoscopes that's getting there that's getting there very quickly i think um there are things that i do see and don't say and that's because there's nothing i can do about it but i if i if i see something coming up and there's nothing i know to do about it i'll say there's something here in the chart that you need to have someone else look at and you need to get a second opinion on and and I won't say what it is. I'll just say there's something coming up and I'll give a date. And it would be better if you went to someone else. They they may be able to offer you deeper insight like that. That doesn't happen often because almost everything that I see has a fix like that. But every once in a while, I'll come across something that. So for just to give you a really gross example, I don't predict death. I don't think anybody should. Um, we have a dozen different techniques for predicting the exact moment of death. <laughs> That's the ironic part about it. I c- can predict someone's moment of death right to the minute, how they're going to die, uh, who they're with when they die, whether really? they're with someone or whether they're alone. That's all there, but it doesn't serve any useful purpose. The only the only time I've ever, and, and again, it's like seeing something and saying it, doesn't serve a useful purpose because all you're going to end up doing is obsessing Mm. what was predicted like that. And the obsession itself, as we were discussing, there's such a thing as a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to put something in someone's heart and mind, I'm going to want that to be the most positive story possible, not the negative. If I make a prediction for a negative, it's because there's a fix that goes along with that. I predicted someone's death once, and it was at the request of a a very, very dear family friend who was dying of liver cancer, and her family wanted to know how much longer her suffering would go on. So I predicted the moment of death for them. I said, she'll she'll transition at at this time on this day, like that. If someone wants to know when they're going to die, it's an odd thing to want to Mm -hmm. know that. But I have friends that did from a reader find that out. Like, I don't know what they told him, but he said he really did want to know that. Are there a few case scenarios or is there one, if you're giving someone a range, are you giving them the best range or can there be a lower range or, you know what I mean? Like, what do you do in that circumstance? Yeah, I know what you mean. I have done that. I've given ranges, you know, like some people are very practical. 
um, Capricorns and Virgos and Tauruses. They're very practical people. And they, they want to know how long they're going to live so they can adjust their finances accordingly. I can live large or I have to live small. Yeah, oh, that's a I can point. live large yeah. for a short period of time or I have to live small for a longer period of time. Yeah. It's very practical. That is actually know, really practical. Good, it good. is very practical. Yeah. So I, that, that comes up quite often. And I, I do give a range at that time. I'll say better to live small for a longer period of time. Watch your finances because you are going to have a body for quite a while. Or I'll say... It's okay. You can continue to live your lifestyle as it is right now. And I'll, I'll say, you know, late 70s, early 80s, or I'll say mid 80s to early 90s. Yeah. You know, I'll give a range yeah. like that. But, but you won't make something exact, up like, oh, yeah. if they were going to go in their 60s, you wouldn't say 80s. No, 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 no. There, there are four different lifespans that, that are talked about in the Vedic sciences. There's um, short, medium, madhya, purna, full, and then there's one called atiayu. And so the short one goes up to, I think, 50s. The medium one goes up to 64. The full one goes up to 84. And then 84 and above is considered atiyayu, but although atiyayu is more like 150, 250, 300, 400, <laughs> like that. And I've met many people in that range in India. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned karma before, and I think that's a very interesting topic for people to hear um, and talking about like bringing over karma because, you know, especially there's a lot of people everyone would have these people in their life where they're the most divine people Mm-hmm. you know, do such good things, yet basically so much bad stuff happens to them in this lifetime. Oh, and gosh, you, and yeah. you, think to, you think to yourself like, God, can they take anything else? You know, like one horrific thing after the next, after the next, or yeah. they're born yeah. into this lifetime with a disease that's just uh-huh. going to end in death. You know, things that are awful like that or a child that's born for a short period of time. Can you talk us through... Yeah why some people would would have that, even though they are good people in this lifetime. Or the opposite is even just as interesting. How can yeah. someone be so horrible and live such a, a, a grand and yes. glorious life? Yes. This is what got me started right from the very beginning. I, I've been studying astrology since I was a kid. You know, I started, I think, when I was eight or nine with my first book. And what got me and spiritual practices too. I mean, I was doing all kinds of stuff when I was a kid, locking myself in my closet and trying to create a sensory deprivation. (laughs) (laughs) Closets, I don't recommend. Smelly shoes. It doesn't quite work. Staring at a candle for hours at a time. I tried that when I was little. Um, But that's just, just that, um, whole scenario is what got me going, you know, from the age of four or five, you can see any kid can see that there's some imbalance in the world, you know, Mm. that, that there are these people who live really, really fine lives and suffer so much challenge and difficulty. Um, The only, the only thing that ever made sense to me in explaining that scenario or the opposite where Mm. people are really bad and live great lives 
is the concept of previous birth that because it, it really if the, the the thing that triggered me when i was in grade what was it three i think it was grade three or four and there was a news story at that time about a busload of school children who had been in an accident and all of them had died and it was like okay these are kids my age and they were in a bus I, I went to school in a bus and they all died and so what they're so young you know how how is it possible that someone so young could have accumulated so much karma as to have to die at that early age in this lifetime it's not possible so the only thing that made sense was this concept of reincarnation and being born from life to life to life accumulating karma along the way <clears throat> and that's what got me going on the spiritual path because then it was like the next logical thing as well if that's the case and I've accumulated this much karma, what do I have to do to get rid of this karma so I don't have to go through it again like that? So when we see a stillbirth or even worse, I don't know if it's worse. I've never gone through it, but I would imagine it was worse to have a child born and then live for three or four years and then die. I have clients who've gone through that. Both scenarios are really, really hard, really hard. But from our perspective, when we see a birth like that and a death subsequently, it generally indicates that that child was an older soul, somebody who's been on a path for many, many lifetimes that was spiritual, is spiritual, has a tiny amount of karma that they have to work out, and they need a physical body just for a very brief period of time in order to burn off that last little vestige of karma and then they're gone like that and those kids are usually something special there's something really very uh compelling about them even just on the feeling level let alone the intellectual level um the hardest karma in that situation is with the parents mm. the ones who have to deal with the loss that's the tough karma but time and time and time again we have seen the those parents are very spiritually evolved that the, the spiritually evolved enough that an older soul would be drawn to them to be their child old enough souls to have a perspective to be able to understand the temporary nature of the human body and strength enough to withstand the grief that that goes hand in hand with that so when we're seeing saintly people struggling in life with one nasty experience after another generally speaking what we're seeing is somebody who has opted to be born into a human life of a short duration 80 90 years whatever it happens to be relatively short in the large scheme of things but a hard life mm -hmm. so that they've they've said okay this is going to be the last one and I'm going to burn it all off in this lifetime. <laughs> so they, okay, I'm going to take it on the chin and I'm just going to keep taking it on the chin just as a way of burning it all off all in one lifetime instead of spreading it out over many lifetimes like that. That's one scenario. That's one scenario. Um, 
Again, the opposite can be true. Somebody could decide to be born into um, a life of great wealth and great success through lying, cheating, and plundering. They got that wealth and that that very, very comfortable life through having done something good in their last lifetime, so they were able to earn that life. But in in the process of living that comfortable life, I would assume that they've accumulated, they are accumulating more negative karma through the, their lack of ethics and their lack of morals like that. So when we see somebody who couldn't tell the truth, whether his life depended on it or not, we're not going to mention any names on the air. Um, <laughs> somebody whose every word out of his mouth comes out as a lie, we can pretty much guarantee that he's going to have another lifetime that's maybe not so wealthy or not so successful. That's my understanding of it. Yeah. And even like, you know, when you see people who might live a long time, but they're born with an illness that's mm -hmm. degenerative. It's just karma. The, the books are very clear about it, that, yeah. that serious illness, long-term debilitating illness, chronic disease mm. is all driven by karma. It's mm. all born of karma. The, 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 that's throughout the books. That's a consistent thing throughout all of the source texts, that, that if someone is born into a situation like that, they are burning off karma from the last lifetime. And in some of the books, they explain quite explicitly which disease is born of which karma. Really? So, for example, um, people come to me with infertility issues. That That's a huge issue these days. The fastest growing industry in North America is fertility clinics. Um, I, many, many theories as to why that is. I have my own, but we won't open that discussion. The charts consistently suggest that it's because they cut down a fruit tree in their last lifetime. Hmm. They, they killed a fruit-bearing being in their last lifetime. They killed a fruit tree. So in this lifetime, they're not allowed to bear fruit. Wow. And there are fixes for that. There are yagyas specific to that. There are different behaviors that they can adopt to transform that karma, to undo that karma like that. From the past. So that's one of the greatest values of Jyotish is that it's it can be so specific. I, I, I'm not anywhere near as specific as an experienced Indian astrologer can be. I mean, some of those guys are phenomenal. Mm. Just as I think I, in one of the other podcasts I did with someone, I gave the example of sitting in a reading with a very well-known astrologer, local local guy, and I was sitting beside uh, a local Maharaja, a local king of that area. And the astrologer was showing off. He was, it's fun to watch them when they do that. He was sitting with his back to the door, so he couldn't see anything what was going on behind him. And as he, he was reading the king's chart, and as he read the Maharaja's chart, he said, and as I'm reading this, your brother will walk through the door. And as he said the words, his the king's brother walked through the door. Wow. And I've seen that happen over and over and over again in India where that I'm too lazy to get into that type of specificity. <laughs> that takes a lot of work to do that. I remember Ramdas said that it wasn't an astrologer, but it was his guru. He said when he first met him, when he went to India, he sat at his feet and he said, I saw you last night and you were looking at the mm. stars and you were thinking of mm. your mother because his mother had died. 
and you were thinking of X, Y, and Z. And that was like, it was like that instance that just blew his mind. This guy who, you know, ended up being the most blessed person in his life. That's Baba Ramdas you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. His, his guru was Neem Karoli Baba. Yeah. Yeah. We all have those experiences. We all, we all know what other people are thinking and feeling. We, we experience it every day. You've experienced mm. it through interviews with other people. Some people experience it like that very, very explicitly, very clearly, and can enunciate it. They can speak it out. Most of us are trained through our educational system to discount it. You know, don't, it, it it's not real. It doesn't mean anything like that, but... You walk through a crowd, you'll, you'll know how the crowd is feeling. You'll mm. know what they're thinking and feeling. You walk on different streets in different cities. You think different things. You know, you walk, you walk in, in, in some crime-ridden area, just to give a gross example, and you suddenly start thinking about, you know, raping, pillaging, and burning. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, and you walk through some area that's very successful and suddenly you're starting to think about how to be successful. So we we do, we're like little tuning forks that way. These saints, um, these people who are deeply, deeply established in silence, that silence allows their mind to show them what they need to be shown. Mm. It's no different from you or I, it's just that they're, they're trained yes they they have trained themselves to pay attention to that to to understand that that's real and it means something where we're trained to focus on the outer values get the money get the job get the get the life you know like that we're outward 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 but if you turn the attention within and you become very familiar with that silence within yourself You'll, you'll also become very skillful. I've been accused of reading people's minds in the middle of readings. You know, it's just, it's something we all do. We all do it. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. The more that I, I mean, I've done meditation for years now, but I do really mm-hmm. full on meditations and like started doing a lot of breath work and it's quite intense breath work. Mm-hmm. The breath work started more so this year. Some of the stuff I'm starting to notice, like actually, freaks me out a little bit and I have to like pull myself in and go like, no, no, don't get worried about this. <laughs> it is fine. You're just opening up and that is not a bad thing. But, you know, I had yeah. an instance the other day and it it was just, it really kind of, yeah, you know, when, like you said, you're not a trained professional as the um, guys in India are, that you start to go, oh, you know, you hold the table kind of thing and think, no, 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 this is all Okay. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it becomes natural. Yes. My, my guru is Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and, and he was the best example of this because he, he would just pluck things out of your mind all the time. You know, wow. just every time you were with him, you'd think a thought and then he would speak it out. And it, it's simply because they're in, in tune. That's all. They're just in tune and they're not, there's, there's nothing inside of that type of developed mind. Mm to stop it we're we're educated from kindergarten through high school to stop it you know to to not trust it this intuition is not real this this doesn't exist it 
it's a, a, a notion that's kind of really misleading, but in reality, it's a very genuine, very human experience. And if you go to societies, indigenous societies in particular, or spiritual societies, usually one and the same thing, mm -hmm. you'll find that people are very, very attuned. They're very developed in this area and they live their lives like that. So one of the things you find in India, um, if you ever go to India and you get to move about with Indians, Indian families within the ordinary life situations, <clears throat> is that they are alive on that level. Even with a more Western education that they're getting these days, still it's so much a part of the DNA, so much a part of the culture, to be awake to the idea of past life karma like mm -hmm. that. So uh, one family that takes care of me in India, uh, I was introduced to them by an another Indian astrologer that I had come into contact with. And he saw my chart and he said, you've got to come meet these people. So I don't know what he saw in my chart, but he said, you have to come meet these people. So he took me to these people, very, very famous family in India and in that part of India where they lived and um, with ancestors who were written up in the history books and stuff. And I walked in and and everybody just immediately in the family got excited. They just, they just said, oh, you know, like that. And I, I saw it too, that, that, oh, I've seen you before. Mm. I, I know who you are, like that. So it turned out that I was their family astrologer for, many generations yeah. back in previous lifetimes. Wow. This is something that we went through with all their charts and stuff. And they they even had a name for me. They said, we, we know that this this ancestor of ours had an astrologer and this was his name and you're you're that person. They they saw that. They they could see it within just within the context of their own consciousness like that. That's so, amazing. Yeah. It's interesting. What I find really interesting as well is an Indian friend of mine was telling me when they talk about this Vedic astrology, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, everyone gets that done over there. He was saying that basically, you know, when he <laughs> met his partner, they went to an astrologer just to make sure you're a good match. He's like, most of us do that there. Like it's this part and parcel. Like if you meet someone, you need to go to an astrologer and then they'll go, yep, yeah. yep, you guys get married, you'll have a good life together. Yeah. Whilst, yeah. you know, here yeah. in the Western world, it's still new to a lot of us. Mm -hmm. I want to know, why does it make a big deal about the time that you're born, where you're born, those those things that you need from people when you give a reading, why are they so important? There's a band of, of space around the equator it's a 34 degrees on either side of the equator and with astrology, the stars we see in the sky are viewed through that band. The angle of the view is dictated by where you are on the planet. So if you're at the North Pole or the South Pole, your angle is very acute. It's not the same as if you're at the equator where you're looking straight up. So we have to know where you are on the planet to know how the stars look from where you are, the, the stars that are going to affect you throughout your life. 
the time of day is critical because the the earth we ride on is rotating through those stars that it's being exposed to different stars and different groups of stars form different signs so each we, we're all familiar with the 12 signs of the zodiac those 12 signs of the zodiac have their or- origin in 27 different constellations and these constellations are even some of them groups of constellations themselves so there's many, many, many fine breakings down of those groupings. Um, so we have 27 what are called nakshatras in, in astrology, in Jyotish, in Sanskrit. Um, they're just constellations like that. And from those, each, each sign of the zodiac is made out of two and one quarter of those constellations. So we have, we have 12 signs, 27 constellations. The sign that's situated on the eastern horizon at the moment that you're born is called the rising sign. And that's in Sanskrit called the lagna. Lagna means beginning point. So that point has to be calculated. And that point is what we see from where we are on the planet when we're born. And it changes from moment to moment as, as the, as the earth turns it gets exposed to different signs through the day like that different constellations different sets of constellations so we have to know the beginning point once we know the beginning point then we know where each of the planets there are nine planets that we use where each of the planets is placed within the context of your perspective and those placements of those planets dictate the predictions that we make for your life so precision is really critical here. Yeah, it's not a it's not a guesswork. Uh, when we say uh, when I say I'm a Leo, <clears throat> I'm not saying my sun sign. I'm saying my moon sign. The moon sign the moon is in a sign for one day, a little bit more than one day. So it's a very much more specific to me. Uh, when I say I'm a Taurus, I'm I'm not as a rising sign. I'm. I'm again I'm not saying my sun sign I'm saying which sign was on the eastern horizon at the moment I'm born yeah. and that changes every couple of hours. It's so interesting because in the western astrology I'm a Gemini and I never felt mm-hmm. like I was a Gemini I was like oh, right, like this right. is my sign but I don't feel like I yeah. have the characteristics yeah. of a Gemini or well, then you convince yourself mm-hmm. you do. Yeah yeah like mm, yeah, yeah. yeah I am like that. Yeah. But when you gave me a reading mm-hmm. I was I can't remember which was which, but it was a combination of Scorpio, Leo and Taurus. And right. when you read out the characteristics of those signs, I was like, that is me to a T. Like I felt like I was home. I'm like, yes, this makes sense. <laughs> whilst the Gemini thing just never sat with me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's been a distancing between the Western and the Indian horoscopes over the last probably... 900 or more years um there's a way of calculating the chart that's different the there's about a 23 degree separation between the two zodiacs now one zodiac is the tropical or movable zodiac that's the western horoscope and then the other zodiac is called the sidereal or fixed zodiac that's the jyotish 
zodiac. Our calculations are made from the point of view that the stars do not move. They are fixed in space and calculations are made from there. The Western horoscope calculates the chart as though the stars are moving. That's why it's called a movable or, or tropical zodiac. <clears throat> that was a, a concept that was put in motion, I think, by the Catholic Church mm. in the 12 to 1300s. If, if you look at a horoscope, I have a client who sent me a horoscope of a, of a famous person from, I think, 1500 or so. And that horoscope was calculated and drawn exactly like an Indian horoscope. Mm. It was not a Western horoscope. I have the horoscope of, um, the, the astrologer to the king of Denmark. Uh, I'm going to forget his name now. Um, it'll come to me. And his horoscope, and again, this is from the 1500s, I think. And his horoscope is exactly a Jyotish horoscope. It's drawn exactly the same way. It's calculated exactly the same way. So they were doing Indian astrology up to a certain point. And then I think the church stepped in and said, no, the, the, the stars are obviously moving. You can see that the stars are moving, you know, like that not accepting the idea that the earth is moving, that, you know, Galileo got, you know, the whole thing with him. So it, it, things are not fixed. Things are moving. You have to calculate the horoscope from that perspective. And at that point, things began to drift apart. Wow. Blaine, what is the best advice that you have ever been given? Be true to who you are. Hmm. That's, again, fundamental to Jyotish. Mm. If you go to a Western astrology, it's more like a, a visit to a psychologist. <laughs> it's sort of like, you're like this, this, and this, but you need to be more like this, this, and this, like that. You, you're, you're a cancer. You need to work on this. This is the weak part of the cancers. You have to work on that, like that. You come to me and I say, you're a cancer, you're a Taurus, you're a whatever. And I say, just be who you are. There's mm. nothing to fix. You're, you're absolutely fine the way you are. Just be true to that. Mm. So say, for example, um, just as an example, cancer people are anxious about tomorrow is the way the Sanskrit translates. So they tend to be frugal. They tend to be careful with money. They save for a rainy day. I can't go to a cancer and say you need to spend more. It would be irresponsible yeah. on my part because it would create an enormous stress in their lives. You need mm. to loosen up. You need to spend more. You became, you need to be more spontaneous. There's nothing wrong with saving up for a rainy day. <laughs> if that's your natural tendency. So as a Taurus, you have a tendency to be very determined. You have a tendency to need to be, um, to need to be comfortable. Mm. That's very important for Taurus people. They love comfort. They, they like things that are, solid and of value they have an eye for quality yeah, but they also me. have an eye for <laughs> value they don't like to pay full retail yeah so i i can see that and i can't tell you as a tourist you need to pay full retail <laughs> as an exercise in you know being something you're not yes. Uh, that's what a Western astrologer would say. You need to loosen up. You need to just pay full retail. Stop bargaining, you know, like that. And I said, no, 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 no. This is who you are. This is what you're good at. If you're true to yourself, <clears throat> you'll be 
you'll be as successful as you possibly can be. Yeah. Well, you know, when you said you're very determined, which you know I am, I've probably asked you 10 times to come on the podcast before you came on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But you came on. So I get there in the end. I finally gave in. (laughs) And the Taurus won. But on the understanding that this is not self-promotion and I'm not taking Exactly. What is something, Blaine, that you wish for yourself? No next birth. (laughs) (laughs) I understand that. Two things, and they may be intertwined. One is to be a complete master of the full, full depth and breadth of Jyotish. Mm. I'm I'm very light on that wish because I know it would probably necessitate another birth. Um, But really, no next birth is is Mm. the top of the list. That's been my desire since I was four or five. Mm, That's so interesting. What is your greatest hope for society today? to be true to themselves, mm. that everybody in society is true to themselves, that then, and, and this is all intertwined. Um, I wish that society as a whole would be able to experience their own, the, the, the silence and the quietness of their own mind. Mm. Almost, well, not almost, all of the world's current issues that we're dealing with are due to lack of contact with that inner silence. That silence is healing. It creates coherence in the brain and allows for proper thinking, That it, thinking that is evolutionary as opposed to otherwise. So I would wish society um, a period of silence every day, twice a day, morning and afternoon. Start the day with silence, end the day with silence, and bring that into your daily activity. It's It's been shown to stop wars. It's been shown to stop crime. It's been shown to increase economic strength. Uh, and it's a very simple thing to do. So and that, that's what I would wish. We had it here on a grand scale in Canada when COVID lockdowns were going on. There were a few days, maybe a week or so, where there was no traffic on the roads. The whole province that I lived in, that I live in, just went completely quiet. You could hear the quietness. Mm. It was just like, oh, there's no traffic noise. Oh, there's no, you know, no noise of industry like that. It was just silent. And it's like the, as close as you could get to the silence of the forests. Mm. These, these saints that, that India produces, they, they, are what they are because of the silence of the forests. Mm. They've spent time in the caves in the Himalayas and the deep impenetrable forests of, of India. And they imbibe that silence into their being. And when they come out into the world, if there, there are many who aren't in the world, there are probably thousands that we don't know about. But the few that are persuaded to come out into the world, their silence is a continued blessing for the whole world. But we're told that there are many, many, many who are in silence, never come out of it, and they're the ones who are holding the universe together. So um, we're hoping nobody wakes them up. <laughs> Do you have a favorite prayer, saying, or mantra? Yeah, there, there's one from the Upanishads. Um, it's called the Castle of Brahman, and it's from the Upanishads. And it's it's my favorite quote of all time. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the center of the castle of Brahman, which is our own body, 
there is a small shrine in the form of a lotus flower, and with, within can be found a small space. We should find who dwells there, and we should want to know him. And if anyone asks, who is he who lives in a small shrine in the form of a lotus flower in the center of the castle of Brahman, we can answer, the little space within the heart is as great as the universe. The heaven and the earth are there, the sun, the moon, the stars, fire and lightning and winds, for the whole universe is in him and he dwells within our hearts. Mm, this beautiful. is a quote from the Chandogya Upanishad and it's my absolute favorite. I love that. What's the most mystical experience that you have ever had? I was with Maharshi in Europe one time and I wanted to not be there. And he makes you work. You just work and work and work and work. And he was having, I was working on developing a curriculum for Jyotish at the university level. And it was tedious. I, I'm, I'm not an academic. I, I, I don't like that type of work at all. So at lunchtime one day, I, I told the group I was working with that I was going, I was going to leave and go home. <clears throat> and we got back to our workspace after lunch and the phone rang and someone picked it up and it was Maharshi and, and nobody at the table said anything to anybody. We just went from the table to the workroom. The Maharshi said one very simple sentence. He said, no one should leave. Everyone should stay. <laughs> and then hung up like that. So I said, okay, busted. <laughs> so I hung on for a little while longer. Uh, another month or two goes by. We're still working away on this curriculum. And I decide, okay, that's it. I can't handle it anymore. I'm going to leave. I'm going home. And I didn't tell anybody this time. And I went to my room and I packed my bags and everybody was meditating. So there was nobody around. I went down to the payphone and I called the taxi to come and get me at the facility. While I was in the phone booth, one of Maharshi's secretaries comes walking up and he opens the payphone door and he hands me this note. <laughs> it, it says, if you want to leave, you have to meet with me personally and tell me why. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's Maharshi. He just, he knew exactly what was going on. I didn't utter a word to anybody, not a soul. And unless the phone was, the payphone yes. was bugged and he was listening <laughs> to that. the call, there's no way he could have known on, on any level other than that wow. level of absolute silence. Did you talk so, to him? Or did you go stuff it, I'll stay a little longer? <laughs> I made an appointment to see him and then I was sitting outside his room waiting to get in to see him. It got too late. And so we started handing notes back and forth and I was told I could leave, but I was given a phone number to phone and I was told, call Maharshi, call this number uh, when, you, when you're going to come back like that. So he, he assumed that I was going to come back. And so I went back home to Canada and when I was, I kind of got it out of my system and, and so I called I phoned Maharshi and he said, 
stay in Canada and um, I'm sending somebody over there and you, you'll help them with their work like that. So I helped with the work that that guy was doing like that. Wow. So it was kind of fun. Yeah. What is a life of greatness to you? A life lived without doing any harm to other people. Fantastic. And that's the definition of sainthood. Mm. A saint is someone who does no harm. Mm. That that would be a life of real greatness. Mm. Thank you, Blaine, for all the work you do. You're very welcome. Thank you. Those are good questions. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Your Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my manifestation course and meditations, head to the shop tab at sarahgrimberg.com or this week's episode show notes to find a link. If you love what you heard, we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. Listener.